Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. We need to be prepared for the future. I'm just holding on for dear life here. This isn't fun. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? And make sure everyone's safety comes first. Save what for dream. You must ready. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. Eventually, I know it's going to hit. It's only a matter of time. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared. I'm Fred Hooper. We've got a great team of reporters who are on the ground chatting to you. And the stories we bring you could help you, your family and your community prepare for natural disasters. The weather and how it affects you is already part of your life. So let's keep talking about being prepared. On today's show, keeping track of funding that goes to Pacific countries, often to help mitigate against climate change. One activist is asking for more transparency when it comes to this kind of money. Also, one of Tonga's outer islands gets a hand to clean up after the tsunami which contaminated a lake. And we'll revisit a story about fire drills in a country that somewhat ironically sits just metres above sea level. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. People's lives have been affected by a disaster. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Clearing roads, restoring critical infrastructure. See, all the signs are coming. So we have to prepare. Be prepared. Pacific prepared. You might hear about funding for different projects in the Pacific from time to time. Things that might affect your community or village. So how do you know the funding is going where it's needed? This question has been asked recently in PNG by a climate activist. Pacific Prepared reporter Diane Wiketsi has this story. Climate change advocate Esela Rakova is calling on the PNG government to take stock of the climate change funding under the Climate Change Investment Fund and come out clear on how the 25 million US and estimated 88 million Kina was spent who benefited the most and the percentage that went to the target areas in the country. The Bougainville-based climate change advocate has called for a full report to be immediately furnished with acquittals of four five provincial administrations listed under the fund. She says the affected people needed to know how many contractors were brought in and they also want to see tangible results of the money expended. Definitely, there needs to be transparency at all levels of um, of government, whether be it um, the political level or the local level government um, or community level government. I mean, in so many cases, we we tend to see um, local communities being accountable for what they get. And, and how they have spent it. Why can't the same be done to the government department who are spending huge amounts of money uh, supposedly for climate change impacts? She wants the government to seriously take into consideration the struggles that people are faced with as a result of climate change and must be accountable for the funding to support local communities with local solutions instead of suppressing them. 
Rakova returned from the recently ended COP27 meeting, and while she is optimistic, she thinks that there is more to be done in terms of mitigating the effects of climate change in Papua New Guinea. Rakova, who did five presentations at the recent COP, says it was a great exchange of ideas and information. In one of her presentations, she was invited to speak at an event for the Indigenous Peoples Organization, and she says there are opportunities that PNG can adopt. Um, the um, another comment I'd like to add, add here is um, with. A lot of the indigenous communities, they have water, they have uh, natural resources like forests, and they're, look, you know, they're looking at conservation and biodiversity, which is um, an important aspect of uh, ecology in, in Papua New Guinea as well. And if we want to talk about um, communities sustaining themselves, we've got to protect those natural resources as well as wildlife, Pacific Prepared reporter Diane Wiketsi with that story about more transparency around funding for some projects in the Pacific. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. If you've experienced or been somewhere impacted by a tsunami, you'll know exactly how destructive they are. You'll also know that after a tsunami, there's a lot of mess. And not just water damage and mud, but debris. The Tongan tsunami in January 2022 caused a massive amount of damage across the country, especially to the outer islands. The Tonga Red Cross has recently been on Namuka Island, which is almost directly north of Tonga, about 100 kilometres. There's a lake on Namuka Island, and after the eruption and tsunami, it was filled with debris and the communities were worried that they wouldn't be able to continue using it. This is Marika Mawala. She's with the Tonga Red Cross. We carried out one of our our activity in the recovery, um, which is a cash for work. It's a cleaning up of the lake. There was a majority of the damages, the rubbish from the Hunga Tonga Hunga by um, tsunami um, being left in the lake, and that was our main activity is to clean up the lake. Um, this lake is uh, served the community for multi-purpose. Um, in uh, um, this island has been experienced long period of drought, so with this lake, the community used this to dig around the lake to get uh, waters to, to support with uh, the family washing, mm-hmm. um, cleaning up, um, water for drinking purpose for the animals, mm-hmm. and yeah. And then also there are some before then there um, fish in the lake, which serve as a livelihood yeah. for the families in Nomuka Island. So what sort of what sort of state was the lake in when you arrived there with the Red Cross? I mean, what what could you sort of see on the ground? Well, the when we arrived there, we can all see those iron roofing on top of it, um, water tanks plastic water tanks, um, all the household materials, uh, chairs, tables. That's sort of floating in the water or? Floating and some were singing. Yeah. Clothes, man, heaps of uh, stuff, even some bottles, um, uh, glass bottles. Majority, like, pieces of houses, woods and stuff mm. were, on, were into the lake. 
Had there sort of been attempts by the local community to clean up the lake prior to when you arrived? Yes, that's the reason why that Red Cross um, response and carried out that um, work is because there's been raising a concern from the community to support them to clean up the lake because of the they were faced a period of drought this year and uh, they were start digging but then they were concerning because their main source of livelihood, their livestock, um, drinking from it and they just say, oh, maybe it's not safe so we need to clean up the lake before we let them go and drink from there and then also for us community to get some water from there to support our daily activities at home. Yeah. So how did the cleanup go? Is it finished or do you need to go back and do like in stages? You're already smiling at that question. <laughs> well, we completed the task, um, the cleaning up last week. Um, with that, I think because we started off with uh, getting the teams um, registered, the communities who wants to participate in the cleaning. And then we carried out a first aid training for the beneficiary, the workers, just because for their safety during the period of time of cleaning up in the lake. And then uh, the, the durations for the cleaning up was 14 days max. So um, heavy equipment were there to support with uh, um, removing the debris from the lake. But that's the situation yeah. that we completed. And also we completed with a community feedback, um, just a survey and getting things how how did we go and checking out the communities all were safe, no one's injured from that activity. Have you seen this a lot around smaller islands around Tonga? I mean there's hundreds of islands around Tonga. Have you have you sort of come across this common problem where people need help or assistance to clean up after the eruption and, and tsunami and it's almost been 12 months now since that happened. Well, other islands, they're facing the same thing. There are some uh, um, debris, some rubbish there that needs to be cleaned up. But the problem is, is that because they're remote islands and there's more like how... Um, how can we remove all this rubbish from there? Like, lucky for Nomuka, there's a an area, a space there that was available for all the rubbish to, to dump okay. there. So like a landfill area? A landfill, yeah. a dumping site yeah. that has been assigned by the district officer. The other islands, given that they are very small, um, I guess they were just cleaning it up and then pile it in one. Maybe in the nearest future, maybe in the government, they might have a um, plan for it to clean up or to remove those ship rubbish from the ship it here. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm... Yeah. <laughs> but there's still need to clean up because when we visit out the other islands, we can still see the iron roofs, the houses, materials, they're mm. still left out there. And you've been in Namuka as well. What's the sort of feeling in the community there? What are people saying to you about what happened and how they recovered from, from that disaster? Well, with the uh, community, the beneficiary that participated in the work were male and female. So it's like the fathers and the mothers and also children, youth age, that participated. So when we carried out the cleaning up, I heard them and then I asked them to share some of their experience, like, because they were there during the time and then they're just pointing out, oh, I was there, I was in front, I was next to the lake. This is what I did. I ran from there and I forgot um, my family, so I went rushed back. And some of the families there were um, 
share that one of the community members was on top of the tree right. and then they thought that um, she got washed away by the tsunami wave or she died. And they came in the morning that she was still sitting on top so, of one of the trees. So hang on, are you saying that she climbed up a tree or did she jump on top of one that was already floating around? No, she managed to climb up to the tree. Wow. And this is an elderly, it's a 60 plus. And yeah, like the community thought that she died, but she was still alive. <laughs> With that such experience, like um, that early is not uh, participated, but the family were participating. They share that because we were cleaning up and then they're like, man, this is the place that she was on top of the tree. This is where we were at and we ran and then we forgot and then we came back and then she was still alive. Wow, that must be incredible to hear that some of those stories are on the ground. Yes, very incredible. But then um, the honest feeling of looking at the communities, like they were very happy to participate to cleaning up the lake. But at the same time, it was the lake cleaning up and removing all those iron roof. It was something that reminding them of Gen 15, like the big waves. Man, you imagine like we ran and we saw back, look back, the waves brought the, uh, destroyed our houses and stuff. So it was more likely reminding them of what happened and then all their actions, what they did and stuff. So what happens now with Namuka is, is that sort of, are you finished on Namuka or do you have to go back and do more work over there or? With our recovery yeah. um, work, it uh, goes for two years. So we just finished one year <laughs> and there's uh, still more work to be done to those uh, um, islands, especially Nomuka, because Nomuka is one of the 12 uh, communities that we have uh, chosen for our recovery work activities. So there might be activities in the future, especially in the wash given that they've been facing the long period of drought. So one of our initiatives that we have been uh, planned out is to um, install community water tank, a 10,000 litres to better support as a backup for the community. Yeah. But that might be happen next year. <laughs> Marika Moala from the Tonga Red Cross explaining how they've been assisting the community of Namuka Island clean up after the tsunami in January 2022. What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared. If you're hearing this, you're obviously interested in the Pacific, which is why I wanted to let you know about ABC Pacific website. You can listen back to anything you hear on the program, and it's just a good way for you to connect with us. You can share information with us, or maybe you're working on something in the disaster preparedness space. Or maybe you've got some feedback for us. There's also a heap of links on there that you might be interested in, like Pacific Beat for all your news and current affairs in the Pacific. And for the latest sports information, you've got Can You Be More Pacific? The easiest way to get in touch is just to search for ABC Pacific and then scroll down to the Connect With Us section. There's lots of ways to get in touch there. This is a story from Tuvalu a little earlier in 2022. Tuvalu was all over the news in late 2021. Talofa from the shores of beautiful Tuvalu Islands. It is my great honour to be speaking to you today. And I do not this is the Foreign Minister giving a speech for COP26. 
As the speech continues, the camera slowly pulls away from the minister. He's wearing a suit. And as the camera gets wider, you realise he's standing in the ocean. As you stand watching me today at COP26, we cannot wait for speeches. When the the highest point of Tuvalu is 4.5 metres above sea level. So it's very exposed. And the country also relies entirely on rain as its water source. There is a dry season in Tuvalu. And even though it might not sound like it, they also need to prepare for fires. Disaster Management Department worked with the Police Department to organise fire drill exercises for students, from early childhood through to secondary level. Muli Fanua Paul, Tuvalu's Disaster Preparedness and Response Officer. Tangafu Esakia is the Relief and Recovery Officer in the Department of Disaster Management. They both spoke with Pacific Prepared reporter Gina Kakia. There was a uh, tsunami alert. I don't know how it was uh, communicated, but it just happened that uh, the parents just rushed into the uh, school compound and, you know, everybody all congested at the road and grabbed the children and get out of the, uh, which which really make the children panic. Uh, seeing, seeing all the mothers from outside the fence calling and, you know, um, and the police, they were there, but just unable to control traffic because everybody was just running around so crazy. Even the traffic here, mostly uh, motorbikes. But people like this, three to four people on uh, on the motorbike, they were so panicked and to get their children out of the school compound. I'll just add on to what Talafo was saying. The fire, uh, according to the fire drills, it's very important. Eh? It also uh, helps uh, familiarize uh, teachers and other responsible uh, people with their role during an emergency, especially like we're talking about fire. So in particular, uh, fire drills helps young students and those still maturing to become accustomed to the process and recognize that they need to take the fire seriously. Also, this... Uh, this can help uh, to reduce uh, confusion, panic, and any disorderly uh, behavior. Not only the, the student themselves, the, the, the children themselves know what to do during any, any disaster. Uh, for example, in that particular day was a fire. So the aim was not only to uh, educate these uh, young, young children, but we were hoping that these young children would get home and tell them their parents and, and say like, this is what happened. We did this and we did this. Our role, we do this. Uh, we, 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 we mastered at one particular station. And uh, this will also help educate the, 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 the moms, the parents, to make sure at any event not to panic. Uh, we, we would like to avoid the traffic being congested and uh, just to be safe and they know where to, to get their children. Our duty with our stakeholders is to provide everyone with uh, information, instruction, and training relating to fire safety. It's uh, unrealistic to expect uh, people to know what to do without uh, practice. Once people know what they're doing, the, the level of panic will be really uh, low, although there are still people that, you know, Panic. So mainly it's focusing on Funafuti and the other island. Like how many how many islands do you have? We have nine islands. That's including um, Funafuti, the capital city. So what's the population like on Funafuti? Population on Funafuti close to six thousand. Hmm. Almost half of the population of Tuvalu. The structure of things that uh, make it difficult. Like we don't have 
uh, water supplies that you know that comes all from um, a reservoir. Here in Tuvalu, we collect our waters from our rainwaters from our roof and uh, store them in uh, water tanks. So it's something that if a fire truck gets there, it, it will have to, to face these challenges. So they need to get a backup or a pump to pump from someone's water tank into the fire truck for the fire truck to be able to fight the fire. Are you happy with how the drill exercise went? Yes, pretty much. The, the main ideas was carried out uh, effectively. Uh, however, there's always be uh, minor minor things to address. Example, that things that we need to take into uh, consideration. Keep in mind that the, the children will be exposed to the weather. It's hard to maintain, especially when dealing with little kids. So just small things that need to be kept into uh, their thinking. Um, small things like that, yeah. So we need to provide uh, different trainings, especially for staff. So when we get that knowledge and understanding from the trainings, we can share it with our the communities, the people here in Tuvalu. Education is uh, the best way to uh, pass on the message to the uh, public. Uh, especially the school children, the, whoever involved, and also the, the parents as well. It's just a serious, and uh, we have to prepare ourselves. Uh, for us, uh, working in the disaster departments, we have to be an example to, to everyone around us to see that we are prepared for any disasters uh, events. Muli Fanua Paul, Tuvalu's Disaster Preparedness and Response Officer. Tangafu Esakia, Relief and Recovery Officer in the Department of Disaster Management, speaking with Pacific Prepared Reporter Gina Kakia. Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. You're probably used to cyclone season and what it means for you, but when you hear warnings on the radio or television, I wonder if it all makes sense. Some of the weather lingo can be a little bit dry and confusing. Anasiu Falakano from TBC Tonga unpacks all the warnings and what they mean for you. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. When we are talking to friends and family and they are forecasts of a major weather event coming, you'll hear lots of words and phrases tossed around. But often those words have official and very specific meanings. And if they are misused, innocently or accidentally, it can create dangerous rumors and misunderstanding. So here are some common terms used to describe extreme weather and cyclone season. Try to imagine events you have lived through and where on the scale they would be placed. If the forecast warns of a tropical low, you can expect strong winds. Large waves will begin to form. White foam crests will be more extensive from breaking waves. White foam will blown in streaks along the wind direction. Expect strong winds to cause negligible house damage to old thatch houses and some garden crops like banana trees. Whistling will be heard in power and telephone wires. Old trees will be in motion. If the tropical low becomes Category 1, 
winds become gale force. That means they will reach speeds of between 90 and 125 kilometers per hour. During a Category 1 tropical low, expect moderately high to high waves of greater length and dense streaks of foam. Twigs will break off trees. Slight structural damage will occur, such as roofing dislodged, larger branches breaking off and garden crops being damaged. If a Category 2 event is forecast, expect storm force winds of between 125 and 164 kilometers per hour. A Category 2 storm brings very high waves with overhanging crests, dense white streaks, tumbling of the sea becomes heavy and visibility is affected. Considerable structural damage can be expected, such as trees uprooted. There will be heavy damage to some crops. Category 2 brings high risk of power failure. A Category 3 event brings destructive hurricane force winds of between 165 and 224 kilometers per hour. It will bring phenomenally high waves. The sea will be covered with long white patches of foam. The air filled with foam and spray and visibility will be very seriously affected. Some roof and structural damage will occur. Some local thatch houses will be destroyed. Power failures are likely. A Category 4 event brings very destructive hurricane force winds between 225 and 279 kilometers per hour. Waves will be phenomenally high, the sea covered with long white patches of foam, the air filled with foam and spray and visibility very seriously affected. Expect significant roofing loss and structural damage. Many thatch houses will be destroyed and blown away. Debris will become airborne and dangerous. Widespread power failures should be expected. A Category 5 event brings catastrophic hurricane force winds of more than 280 kilometers per hour. Prepare for phenomenally high waves, see covered with long white patches of foam, air filled with foam and spray in very seriously affected visibility. A Category 5 storm is extremely dangerous and will cause widespread destruction. To be prepared for disaster, you need to understand what official terms mean and what you can expect. This information was sourced from the Vanuatu Disaster Management Office on the official website. There are pictures that show you what to expect in each category which may help those who do not read or write or have English as a second language. Each Pacific nation has its own emergency procedures. Most can be accessed from your local National Emergency Management Office. Be informed. Be prepared. And I see you, Falakalno, from TBC Tonga, explaining exactly what weather warnings mean for you, specifically around cyclones. The time to prepare is now, not right before an emergency. No electricity, nothing whatsoever. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, 
Capital FM, 107 Vanuatu. FBC Fiji. Samoa National Radio, 2AP. SIBC, Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation. And TBC Tonga. Have conversations about disasters. What would you do and how will you prepare? We're trying to help you make the next disaster easier for you and your family. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.